0: in today's episode of the Sixers beat i'm joined by mike o'connor as we go over the espn feature on ben simmons and his jump shot then we dive into a hypothetical timeline where the nba jumps right into playoff competition in a neutral one location playoff setting and discuss how that hypothetical would benefit and hurt the Sixers chances of a deep playoff run Today's episode of the Sixers Beat is brought to you by Remarkably Remote, a new daily microcast from GoToMeeting, all about making work from home work for you. With indispensable intel on how to stay sane, motivated, and productive at home, we're here to help you in this brave new remote working world. Add to your flash briefing on Alexa or subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. Alright, welcome everybody. This is Derek Bodner, joined this week by Mike O'Connor on the Sixers Beat, part of the Athletics Podcast Network. You know, we had Jerome on, author of Tanking to the Top a couple of weeks ago, to promote his book and talk about the process. We had J.J. Redick on last week, and now we have Mike O'Connor keeping <laughs> our, our string of guests going. Um, spared no expense on this one. How you doing, Mike?
1: I'm good, man. I'm excited to join such an illustrious uh, trio here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it just feels great to be a part of it. Not
0: that you're really a guest; you're just not an every week host. So right, all right. So I guess you know in this in this time that we live in, there is not typically a whole lot of news to talk about. We did get one decent chunk of information. There was a Ben Simmons feature on ESPN by the always incredible Jackie McMullen, and it essentially talked about Ben Simmons and his lack of shooting and it talked to you know a lot of a lot of people um you had Kevin Boyle who was his coach at Montverde obviously talked to Brett Brown talked to um his 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 brother and trainer talked to uh Joel Embiid talked to a whole bunch of people on trying to get perspective on why Ben Simmons wouldn't shoot and what sort of ways pretty much everyone in his life has tried to push him towards taking that next step with that jumper. So I, I guess some more newsy takeaways from this. First of all, in terms of his lower back injury, uh, according to the report, sources tell ESPN that Simmons will be good to go as his lower back impingement has all but dissipated. If the season resumes, a source a, says a team source, we're expecting to have him. So that is obviously good. And then the other sort of newsy, I thought, real first time we've had it confirmed thing was that Simmons has agreed to work with a sports psychologist. Um, It didn't necessarily say whether or not he has worked with one or has agreed to in the future, Um, but that is something a lot of people have had questions about. So now we sort of have some light shed on that. I guess moving on to more of the bigger picture takeaways... And I think a lot of it is stuff that we all sort of either theorized or have talked about before. Um, you know, basically that Ben is doesn't believe that that is right now a high percentage shot, so he doesn't take it. Everyone around him sort of wants him to take that and realizes he has to rip that Band-Aid off. And Simmons more or less agrees that he has to, has to get there. And everyone sort of agrees that there is a, a confidence and a fear of failure aspect to this that he has to push through. I guess, what was sort of like your main takeaway from that piece and what came of it? I
1: would say the main thing is that, you know, it just sort of gives you a look at the things that go on behind the scenes, whether it's with him and Brett or with him in his inner circle, that these discussions are happening. And I think there's a tendency among fans to sort of like assume that and look, like, I'm happy to talk about the lack of accountability in the Sixers organization. I'm happy to talk about that. But I have let's a not act like...
0: bee flying right by my desk. This is going to be a fun fucking podcast. Apparently, I had, the, had, had my back door open when I was grilling earlier today. And now there's a bee who has decided to make his home right on my desk. So if I freak out and start, like, hitting stuff on my desk, you know why. I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs>
1: I'll carry the load. Don't worry. Don't worry. I'll just ramble on. Um. But anyway, yeah. The, maybe if I turn look, my
0: monitors off, maybe he's attracted to the monitor. I don't know. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Okay. I'm I'm flustered right now.
1: I would I would be flustered too. I don't I don't blame Did you. Ever ever
0: be in your car? Oh, it's fucking terrifying. I'm sorry. Go
1: ahead. I, it would be awful. I've never experienced it. Um, where was I? Okay. Uh, yeah. So look, there is you know we've we've made a lot of uh we've typed a lot of words about the the lack of you know accountability or whatever you want to call it in the Sixers organization, but let's not act like these discussions don't ever happen, right? Like I, th- I thought it was somewhat revealing that Brett said, you know, he had this discussion with Ben and his family that he, he could bench him. He could consider benching him. And, you know, I, I think that Ben sort of has like, you know, he, he sort of seems to respond positively to that sort of, that sort of leadership. It mentions a story of him playing in high school for Kevin Boyle and Kevin is just absolutely lighting into him. And Ben responded really, really positively to that. So I thought that that was really interesting. I will say, just, though,
0: there's a difference between lighting into him and benching him. I True. I I guess well, I'll let you finish there. But like benching him was one of the ones that I think a lot of people bring up as like a realistic. I did a radio hit earlier this week. And they're like, well, why doesn't Brett just bench him? Like his, his high school coach said he wouldn't. It's like when was like give me a contemporary example of a head coach who, who by the way, is on a little bit of an uncertain future. His his terms aren't really settled. Who is going to bench for a significant period of time. I'm not talking like a half, but like actually bench an all-star caliber player for something he didn't do on the basketball court. Like when was the last time this has happened? For some reason, that's where I think a lot of people go. And I just don't find that violent. Like great that a high school coach says he would do that in a hypothetical scenario where he's running the team. But it just, it it never happens in today's NBA. Like we all know that a a star level player has way more power, is way more secure in their position in the organization. And if you pick a fight with, then look again, challenging like said and saying like, I need someone to challenge me is different than like, I don't want to be in that starting lineup. I, I have a feeling that wouldn't necessarily go over well with Ben and Rich Paul. I think Brett's sort of mistake is like, I don't entirely know why he brought that up. Um, Because now you take something where I don't think any coach, maybe Greg Popovich. Pop is maybe the one coach I could see actually trying this. But he also has a job security of having won multiple titles. But I can't, like, Brett sort of took something where I don't see any coach in the NBA really being able to do and, and really being willing to do and said, yes, I thought about it. And I think that sort of set Brett up for criticism that I just, I don't think is a realistic option.
1: I, I agree. I mean, if, if Brett bench Ben, even for like a half, I mean, I think Elton brand would have six voicemails from rich Paul by the end of the game. Um, I do not think it would, it would go well, but yeah, I mean, yeah. And the, the only example I can think of is like pop with Kawhi. Cause I think that did happen once in a playoff series or where, where like Kawhi got like beat back door or something and pop just benched him. Um, and of course, Kawhi ended up forcing his way out of there, you know, a couple years later. So the, the benching approach is not something that's viable and I don't think it's, it's probably not, you know, the most likely thing that's going to lead to it happening. You know, I, I think overall in this piece, I think Ben comes off really well. I think that, you know, him just sort of taking ownership and saying, I'm not really comfortable with it. And people around him saying, you know, it's just sort of a confidence thing. I'm I'm glad that there's some acknowledgement of that because when Ben speaks to the media, it he does not make any sort of admi- admission like that. No, it's it's um, much
0: more like a screw you. Why are you even asking about this?
1: Exactly. And look, I I have my own theory that I think that contributes to some of the coverage of him. I don't know if we want to go on that whole tangent, but I mean, that's I, I think that a lot of sort of like the criticism that Ben faces could be mitigated if he were... Sort of just more open and and friendly with, uh, with the media, and just seem that way to the fans. Like, hey, look, yeah, I'm working on it. I'm not totally comfortable with it. Um, the fact that he sort of shrugs you off and, and is annoyed by the idea of you asking it. He I think, had
0: he had one he after one press co- or one uh, huddle, he uh, he joked to the PR staff that a certain reporter wasn't allowed to ask questions anymore because he asked him about the jump shot.
1: Yeah, and there was the incident i think and i mean
0: to be clear he wasn't serious but he was right. like like I, I i mean i the question wasn't great like i think the question was something like 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 have you taken jump shots and ben sort of in- interpreted it as like have you ever taken a jump shot And i think the question was intended to be like have you been taking them in practice like in 5 on 5 in practice and i think there was a little miscommunication there but yeah ben was not and again ben was joking nobody can actually tell a reporter he can't ask questions anymore but he was he was very frustrated with the question
1: Yeah. So yeah, I mean, look, I, I think Ben comes off pretty well in this piece. Like I said, Um, I I think that just sort of discussing it in a more open way and sort of acknowledging that there is this massive dialogue around it and it's a normal thing for fans and observers to talk about, I think was a good thing. Um, I did think a couple of things he said were a little bit strange. Like when he said, uh, I, I just need someone to hold me accountable. Like if like this mountain of pressure isn't holding you accountable or, or forcing you, you know, just like sort of nudging you along to shoot, then I don't know what will. Like it, it's, I mean, Jackie writes in the piece, like it's such an open thing in the NBA that people talk about that he just won't shoot. And like the, the, the spectacle around it, if that in and of itself doesn't hold you accountable, like I don't know who's going to, but I'm, I know I'm, I'm nitpicking here. Like I said, Ben comes off well in this piece.
0: Yeah, and I you know, I, I thought one of the people who, who had sort of the most interesting quote, quotes in the article, which, I mean, it, it's sort of to be expected because he has the least amount of stake in it, uh, but Kevin Boyle, you know, and he, he summed it up basically with he can either go to bed at night with this for the rest of his career or do something about it. it it's not going to go away. If he doesn't fix it, he won't get to the all pro level, which is okay. He'll still be a great player. He's basically telling Ben, like, what do you want to be in your career? Do you want to be great or do you just want to be good? And like you said, in terms of pressure, and this is sort of like what I always said all last summer, all year really, I think Ben has put work into this jumper. Like I think um, maybe you could say like for the first 18 years of his life he didn't put enough work in there. And I think there's some fair criticism for that. But since he sort of got back from that foot injury, I think he's put in the work to try to cover up some of the gap that he had neglected up to that point in his career. So I think he's put in the work over here, over the last few years. But now you're at a point where he's you're talking about something on the basketball court, and now I have a cat who is chasing the um, bee, which is this is a, a fucking madhouse. Um, <laughs> what are you doing? I, I can't control the cat meowing. I'm sorry. Uh, so now you have a player who is, is taking something who he's never done on a basketball court, and he's never had confidence doing obviously, because he's never done it. And you're asking him to sort of, like, learn on the fly on a on a really good team that has championship, championship expectations in a big market and with a lot of scrutiny on it. And it's, he hasn't found a way, and, and the Sixers and everyone around him hasn't found a way to get him to push past that. And it's, when's it going to be? I don't know. You know, he says something along the lines of, you know, I, I could be one of those guys shooting 30% right now, but I'd rather be one of those guys shooting 40%. And that's great. We would love it for you to get to 40% as well. But you're not, I like, I truly think he believes he is going to work and work and work and work and work and not unleash it until he can shoot 40% in game action from an NBA three-point line. And I just don't think that's particularly realistic. Like, again, I forget who said it. Probably Kevin Boyle. Um, But somebody in there said, like, he's got to rip off that Band-Aid. And for whatever reason, they just have not been able to get him to rip off that Band-Aid yet. And there certainly is, you know, and they talk pretty candidly in here about a lot of, like, fear, fear of failure stuff. The, the acceptance of failure is something Ben needs to be comfortable with. That will come through hard times, experiences, and losing. And, I mean, this goes back, like, we, we talk so much. Like, so much has been made about Brett Brown and him getting him to shoot. And Brett Brown, and when he, you know, midway through the year, made that ultimatum of he wants him taking one three-pointer a game which again with Brett I think he makes a lot of mistakes where he like he he makes demands or threats that there's no way are going to be met like there's no way you can really push through and sit Simmons from like you might be able to bench him once but that's not a long-term sustainable thing there's no way you can really expect him to go and 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 and, and shoot one three-pointer a game he's making like a lot of people took that and said oh well he then didn't shoot so Brett has lost the locker room. Brett has no control over Ben. I, I don't think there's a coach in the NBA right now who can just by sheer, like, I'm going to tell you I want you to shoot. Get Ben Simmons to shoot. I don't think that's how it's going to happen. And, um, you know, I, 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 a lot of people, and again, I was on a radio hit where they said, is this it for Brett Brown? Like, Can, can they bring him back? Seeing what's going on here. And, and I think they focused a lot on the benching thing. I think the only person who can really get Ben Simmons to shoot is Ben Simmons. And he's, he's, he's got to like, he's got everyone, everyone on the team, all of his teammates, all of his coaches, all of his former coaches, his family, his Sean tribe, his brother. He's got all of them telling him like, you need to do this. At this point, it's on Simmons. Like it's on Simmons and his trainer. And I think they've both put in the work and now it's on Simmons pushing through that barrier.
1: And that is a really important takeaway from all this, right? Because, Like I sort of alluded to, I think that there was sort of an assumption among fans that the organization would not put pressure on him to shoot because they were scared of the repercussions. Maybe they would just placate him and say, oh, you don't have to. Or or maybe his inner circle, like his brother, would just, you know, placate him and just say, yeah, you know, you don't have to shoot. You're an all star without the jump shot. But I think what we learned from this piece is that those discussions are taking place, at least to some extent. And it seems like these people hold the viewpoint that it's important for him to shoot it. And and that's a really good thing that everyone around Ben is telling Ben, you have to shoot the basketball. So, you know, look, that's, that's a good sign. We, we also still have to see Ben shoot the basketball. Like I think we're just, you know, we're just sort of in this limbo where I don't know what else to say about it. I really don't. We know what this is. It's, an issue of confidence and he and comfort, and he has to get to that point. And it almost just feels stupid for us to say this is when I think he'll get it, or or, or even say whether or not we think he'll get it. I've been skeptical of his jump shot for a long time. Um, the whole thing is just so incredibly bizarre when you look at the fact that he shot two threes a game in high school, and you know shot a lot more jump shots in college, one year at LSU comes out at summer league uh, after he's drafted and is pulling mid-range jumpers and it just slowly disappears more and more and more. So I, I've just always sort of been a skeptic because of that, but I don't really know what else to include in my calculations here, right? Like I don't even know what else to say. It's just, we just have to sort of sit back and wait and see if he's ever going to shoot and it's a shame because, as you sort of harped on, he's worked on it so much. I do not think that he will ever come out and be a forty percent three point shooter. I thought that was probably the most ridiculous quote in the article. <laughs> um, but I think that I think that Ben, like, just looking at his form, like, there are so many guys in the league who you know shoot like thirty three percent and occasionally draw like closeouts and that creates stuff for them. I mean. Like, I think Ben could easily be that kind of guy. It's just a matter of, is he going to do it? And, you know, like I'm saying, it's just, it's impossible to ever know.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, I I think, I mean, this is from, again, his brother, Sean Tribe. Confidence is a huge thing, which seems like a contradiction because you look at this guy and think nothing can break him, but he's human. You can break it down to a psychological thing. Do I shoot it? Do I need to? Am I going to miss it? Tribe says, and he says... I think am I going to miss it is a big thing with Ben. Um, And I think think, think that's true. As the competition got tougher, as the lights got brighter, as the scrutiny became more, he more and more decided he wasn't comfortable doing the one thing he's never been comfortable doing on a basketball court. So while that jump shot might have flown in an AAU game that 150 people were watching, you put uh, 20,000 people and put them on national TV and he's just not comfortable doing it. He's... He's, he's gotta be, he's gotta become, and I mean, like you said, like, I don't think just seeing how much he improved. And and again, I hate talking about shooting before a game because it's 99 times out of a hundred worthless, but this is the one point where it is worth something because he was so bad at it in previous years, just seeing the progress he made. I lost the belief, any, any notion I may have had that he doesn't feel like he needs it. Like he didn't spend all summer working on it. If he didn't feel like it would be useful. It's a it's, it's a confidence thing. And I have spent so much of the last few years talking about point guards, losing, losing or not having the confidence to shoot. And one day, one day they will j- draft a Steve Nash type and we can have a different conversation. But we are not there yet.
1: All right. Um, I do think what you pointed out about the pregame stuff, you know, shooting before games, it actually is notable. Because I remember in years past, like Ben would do this little thing where – he really wouldn't shoot threes in warmups before games, but when he would, if he missed one badly, what he would start doing, like immediately after that, he'd shoot like a trick shot, yeah. like like just to make it look like he's just like messing around or something. And I remember going to that the, the blue white scrimmage before the year and watching him warm up, and he came out and I mean he must have shot like fifteen straight threes and didn't make very many, but I I, I just remember thinking even then like okay this is this is notable he's he's not like just as soon as he misses, like, I, I have to do something else so people stop looking at me or something like that. Like, I don't know. I'm just looking for baby steps here.
0: I, I, no, but, like, think think of how lack of confidence much must, must have that even in, in warm-ups, you're like, no, I'm done. I'm done. Right. Like, he used to, and like, I've been told this by multiple people, some of his bad habits shooting came because he used to intentionally make shots more difficult so that then you couldn't hold it against him if you missed. Like, this was not a, a new phenomenon and it's a uh, you know it's gonna take like this needed to be corrected a long time ago um but it wasn't and now it's very tough now it's very tough and I, I mean like again i forget who it is but you don't expect these nba athletes these incredible athletes the top of the top of the top to lack confidence and it's in some respects in some aspects of the game ben doesn't lack confidence but this one he certainly does
1: pretty much every player in nba history has been it's it's been an obstacle to get them to shoot less. Right. Like, we need to we need to rein this guy in. He's he's his shot selection is, is off the charts. He can't he can't contain himself. But somehow in the city of Philadelphia they only manage to acquire guys who are the opposite.
0: Alan Iverson is looking at Ben Simmons and he doesn't get it. He doesn't get yeah, it. Right. Alright let's take one brief break to tell you about the Black tux. The Black Tux believes every groom deserves a better experience when it comes to finding formal wear, a suitor tuxedo for their big day. Did you know the Black Tux was actually started by two guys who had one of the worst tuxedo fittings you could imagine? It turns out they aren't alone in this frustration, just listen to these one-star reviews from competitor tux shops that shall not be named. Go elsewhere. This place is pretty terrible unless you're dressing like your grandpa for Halloween. We felt weird buying a suit from somebody so unhappy. We were afraid his bad vibes might follow us to our wedding day, so we left. What I love about the Black Tux is that they have an easy online ordering process that brings your suit or tuxedo straight to you. Just pick a style at theblacktux.com and request a free home try-on so you can feel the fit and quality before you commit. And if online isn't your style, the Black Tux has showrooms all over the country where you can find your fit and plan your look. From there, they'll ship your order two weeks before your wedding so you can check it out one last time. Talk about commitment. Whether you're buying your outfit or looking to rent, you won't find a formal wear experience or designs like the ones you'll find at the Black Tux. If you want your wedding to be remembered for the right reasons, order your suit or tuxedo from theblacktux.com and enjoy 10% off with code Sixers. That's theblacktux.com, code Sixers, for 10% off your purchase. The Black Tux, formal wear for the moment. And now back to the show. All right, so let's move on. We at The Athletic, we did a roundtable recently asking a couple of questions about what things would look like if the season returned so we'll briefly touch on some of these and again if you want the longer version of this head to the athletic.com slash sixers and you can find that there question number one if the season returns in a shortened form how do you think the time off will affect the sixers do you think it increases or decreases their odds of succeeding in the playoffs compared to if the season played out normally
1: Yeah, so, uh, you know, what I sort of said there was, aside from Simmons, obviously it's great that they're getting Simmons back. That's the only thing that makes it a discussion of whether or not they're going to advance past the Celtics or whoever they play. Um, But outside of that, I think this losing those last 17 games is going to affect them negatively. Like, they had a lot of things left to figure out. And just simply by the nature of losing that, and by the nature of having a ton of time off and you have to hop right back into playoff action. Like that's really, really difficult for a team that didn't have good chemistry to begin with. Like, it just felt like this whole year was like a a search to like find something, like find some sort of consistency and they never found it. And we're going to be hopping into the playoffs, seeing whether or not they can find it on the fly. And I think that's going to be difficult. You know, one of the things I said in there was just like, it's, I think this is going to favor teams that have been together a while, like the Raptors or the Bucks. Um, I say a while. It's only been like two years, three years for those teams. But, um, you know, I think it's going to favor teams with, like, a defined hierarchy and, you know, that just have, like, like you know, consistent, like, bread-and-butter plays that they know they can go to and, you know, just in general, like, good chemistry. And And I don't think that's the Sixers.
0: Yeah, so I agree with everything you said. But I said it's a positive if for only one reason, and it really was only one reason, and that's that Ben Simmons would be available for it, theoretically. And that is such a look. We can talk about chemistry or what have you. They're not beating Boston in the first round without Ben Simmons in terms of transition, getting out in the break, in terms of being able to defend Tatum and Brown like they would have. And I think they were they're the sixth seed, but they're tied with Indy. So there's, I mean, there's a million different ways this season could resume. This hypothetical was jumping right into the playoffs though, right?
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: Um, So if there's even a small ramp up period, they could very much capture that fifth seed. But in this hypothetical, they could even capture the fourth seed because Miami had struggled a little bit and come back down to the pack. But in this hypothetical, they would be a sixth seed. They would get Boston. And I think it'd be so important for what they do defensively that him being back and that really being the only reason I would say this, I think there is some positive there. Yeah. And I got and, a cat who's losing her mind. Um, stupid, stupid B really derailing this whole podcast. He's being a pain <laughs> in the mass. Um,
1: nice. Well done.
0: Yeah. That's all I got. You know, when you're an old man, you get old man jokes, <laughs> but I, you know, everything you said, like for a team that is supposed to be a contender, they have so many question marks. Like, First of all, they don't know their starting lineup. And I don't say that. Like, sometimes you go into the playoffs and you have to make it adjustments because, you know, you have injuries or what have you. They don't know their, their optimal starting lineup if everyone is healthy. That is crazy for a contender. Like, you usually have this figured out by now. And it's you don't have it figured out because you turn to a 54th pick in the draft who is in his second year late into the season. Just think of how. Be- anyway, we all know about the fit concerns and, and the Shake Milton story.
1: Yeah, I mean, we all agreed. We're, we're, I'm skipping ahead here, but we all agreed that when the season, or if and when the season comes back, the starting lineup should be uh, Simmons, Shake, Josh, Tobias, and Embiid. And that lineup has played zero minutes together, yep. not a one. Because you know, when like... when
0: Shake first came in the starting lineup, Embiid was out. Then Richardson went down then Shake went to the bench, then Simmons went down, then Shake started again. So you're right. They have never actually used that starting lineup.
1: Do you think that, and I'm just sort of trying to play devil's advocate, you know, look at the other side of things. Do you think that there could be anything to the fact that like, to the idea of just like breaking up the bad juju that was stewing on this team? Like it just felt like they were living under the constant threat of implosion and just everything was going wrong and just sort of like having this layoff might reset that. I don't know. I'm just looking for positives here. Yeah, I don't
0: know. I mean, I I think the best-case scenario would be if they continue the regular season and you have a chance to get everyone healthy, allow Brown to sort of figure out his rotations, and then also get a ramp-up period so you can get some chemistry with this new group. But that—I and say with this new group, but like even even the original starting lineup, if Brown would hypothetically go back to Al Horford in that starting lineup— I think they played, like, what, like, 19 games together. It's not like they have a lot of chemistry themselves. So there's really a group that just has not been together all that much. There have been injuries throughout the season um, staggered so that there really hasn't been any consistency. Um, yeah, I don't I, I don't know. And, and we haven't even gotten to the, the the one real big concern, and that's Joel Embiid. Hmm. And is he going to be in shape? Is he going to be overweight, is he going to lose his conditioning base? Is he going to, like, all the stuff that we've... Look, there's a good side to this, right? Like, he hasn't really entered a postseason run where he's been healthy. So, okay, that that's a change this year. That's a, a very important change, by the way. But does he have the discipline now when there's nobody on top of him pushing him, when there's no chance to play basketball, which he's always said he needs in order to maintain his his cardio base? And, you know, a diet that, quite frankly, hasn't been... Up to professional athlete standards at points in his career when there's nobody now watching over him and he's not eating at the practice facility and there's not people getting on top of him. Like, is he, what's he gonna look like, quite literally, when they come back? And if he's not, you know, close to 100%, then we have a real issue here. And look, I hope, I hope Joe proves that concern wrong because, like I said, the fact that he now has time off to rest his body and rest his lower body for a playoff run could certainly be beneficial. But he has to he has to do what he can to stay in shape and maintain his diet during this time for that to really matter.
1: Yeah, and you know, we're sort of just like answering the the second question here, but I agree. I agree. Um, I mean Joel like he's said so many times that playing games is what helps get him and keep him in shape. Now, I don't know how much of that is just lip service to say stop putting me on minutes restrictions and stop making me sit out back to backs. I don't know. Um, I, but, we,
0: we've kind of seen it though. Like when he's been out, he's come back and he hasn't been the same.
1: Yep. Yep. But, uh, but yeah, I agree. You know, and beat is the guy you worry about the most with this. I also sort of
0: Sims will come back know, and he could probably run a marathon. I don't, I don't worry about that.
1: He, he, he seemed invincible before this back injury. Um, I hope he comes back still seeming invincible um but yeah the the other guy i might worry a little bit about not in terms of conditioning but just in general is, is shake milton like is shake just going to be thrown into the starting lineup in a in a playoff environment now we can say a playoff environment is different with with no fans i don't, I don't know i mean maybe <laughs> that makes the transition easier but just losing that last 17 games to continue to grow his confidence to to see you know to grow his his chemistry with Embiid and the rest of the starters and to just get him comfortable playing NBA basketball. He's played, he's played 56 NBA games total, you know, like, and, and a lot of those are just garbage time. So I think that, you know, missing out on, on that, that 17 game stretch is is tough for shake.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it would. Yeah, it would be. I mean, this is, is, is just a whole situation where you, re, you really need to get them, um, get them back on the, On the same page. Like I said, you don't usually have a team these high of expectations relying on a second-year player that was the 54th pick in the draft and making a change just late in the season and starting a a playoff run where that lineup has never played together. It would be unique. Unique, for sure. All right, so we'll skip over the second question, uh, which was basically which players would be positively and negatively affected by it because we spent a lot of that time talking about it. So, and we'll skip over the the next question because it was if everyone's healthy, what should the starting lineup be? And we already talked about that. So, the fourth question. The Sixers have been nearly unbeatable at home and terrible on the road. If the playoffs are played at a neutral site without fans, does that help or hurt them? I like how I'm reading these questions as I'm asking you. When (laughs) you're the one who put this round table together (laughs) and you ask us, real role reversal going on here, but it's my podcast. go, cool.
1: yeah, it's a shame I don't have better answers for my own questions, but um <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm really not sure about this one. I wanted to ask a question because I think it's important, but I'm really not sure. like would it just would that just mean it totally evens out? Um, my thinking was like a lot of their uh, their road struggles, aside from just, you know, shooting randomness, has to do with energy. And I just sort of would find it hard to believe that. In a playoff game, even without fans, that they're going to show up lacking energy, and so for that reason, I sort of figured, okay, you know, th- that if that issue is eliminated, I think that helps their their you know road struggles more than it would hurt their their home success. But I, I'm 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 spitballing here. I mean, I have n- I've never seen a professional basketball game played without fans.
0: No, no, and I've also never seen a professional basketball team with this much of a Jekyll and Hyde personality right. to it. So if this were a normal team and a normal six seed, who you know deep down that they're a better than average six seed. Like when they're locked in, there aren't many six seeds that you look at and you go, that team can make a run of the NBA finals. And the Sixers have that kind of talent. They've they've reached those highs at various points of season. So normally if they were a normal six seed that has this much talent you would say, okay, well, now you're wiping away, like the way I phrase it, those pesky teams who are consistent throughout the year, you've wiped away the advantage that they spent the entire season building and earning. You've removed that from the equation. That should help that over talented but underachieving sixth seed. But this is the normal team. And those home road splits, again, almost every team, certainly almost every playoff team, is significantly better at home than they are on the road. That's a, pretty common trend what's not a common trend is 29 and 2 and whatever the hell they were on the road i can't do the math right now because i'm worried about a b so how much of the home record is that they need that fan base to and again since this is a a defensive-minded team where in order like they're never going to outscore you or at least outside of maybe you got christmas day game they're very rarely going to outscore you They need to be operating on all cylinders defensively. How much do they need that home crowd to sort of ramp up their effort level to reach those heights? Can they do that in a neutral environment? Well, like you theorized, will just the moment, the the importance of the moment get them to reach those heights without the crowd behind them? You would think so. Like you said, I can't imagine they would come out there in the playoffs and give this kind of lackadaisical effort that they've given at times on the road. But they also shouldn't have given that effort on the road as frequently as they did too. Like, I don't like wh- exactly what is going on here. And look, like you said, part of that, I think is variance. Like they just missed some shots that at some point you would have to think will go in. Although I'm still not sure if Furkan or Matisse have made a jumper on the road, but at some point they will their effort wasn't there either. And like, we're trying to now guess how their effort will be in a neutral site without fans. Oh, hell, I don't know. I, again, you hope that because it's the playoffs, they will come out with the kind of effort they need to in a playoff run. And because of that, and because they're getting they're they're losing home court from the other team, that will be a net positive. But I don't know. I have no fucking idea with this team <laughs>
1: Me neither, man. If I had papers right
0: now, I would throw them up in the air and you'd hear papers <laughs> falling. But who keeps paper on a desk anymore? I don't know.
1: Even if there were fans and if everything was normal in the world, I still wouldn't totally know what to make of this team. No,
0: of course not. Of course not. If you told me they beat Toronto in the second round, I'd say, yeah, that makes sense. If you told me they lost to Boston in the first round, I'd say, yeah, that makes sense. I don't know.
1: Uh, my, my inclination with this team has been extremely negative since probably January-ish, but I'm afraid to have too much of a hot take because I still acknowledge that there's incredible potential here. Like, it could end up looking very, very dumb.
0: I'll tell you what. If you want to come up with a hot take, drop it on this podcast. If you feel like that might give them the boost they need to end up allowing me to cover an NBA Finals run, I will take that. We will sacrifice you to the hot take Yeah, I'll be the
1: sacrifice. I I don't mind. I don't mind. (laughs)
0: All right, last one here, and then we will let you go. If the Sixers remain in the sixth seed, and again, I'm asking a question that you wrote. It feels a little awkward, but whatever. If the Sixers remain the sixth seed and play the Celtics in the playoffs, how far do you think they'll advance, if at all? This is perfect. This segues perfectly from your your. I don't want to make a prediction.
1: Exactly. Yeah, I I don't think they beat the Celtics. I think the Celtics have. Their roster just makes so much more sense. Obviously, we've talked many times about how the Sixers match up well because they don't have a guy to guard Embiid, um, but we don't know what kind of shape Embiid is going to come back in. I don't think the Sixers have any feel for what their offense is going to look like and how their bread is buttered on the offensive end. Um, so I'm just sort of banking. Look, if, if everything had played out normally, if Simmons, Simmons never got injured and they uh, and they had those last 17 games... I'd be really tempted to take the Sixers, but just with everything so in flux and and missing out on that opportunity to experiment with lineups and grow chemistry and that sort of stuff, I got to give the edge to the Celtics. They're they're just, they've they've proven to be a better team.
0: I agree with they've proven to be a better team. I do think the Sixers match up pretty well with them. And I did in this article, I wrote, I had the Sixers... In this round table, I had the Sixers advancing and losing to Toronto in the second round, which would just be fun. Fun, fun, fun. Fire up the hot take cannon. But you know what? We've gone so long without sports. If we get even a neutral site, no fans playoff run, I will will take that. I will cherish that. But they have to figure out whether or not that is a realistic possibility and whether or not they can do that safely. Until that point, Thank you, Mike, Mike, for jumping on. We will talk to you soon. And everyone, be safe and be responsible.
1: Sounds good. Appreciate it.